Oh, give me a home where the buffalo roam and the deer and the antelope play. Well, if you want to get technical, there were no buffalo or antelope out on the range. Bison aren't buffalo and pronghorn aren't antelope. But where the bison roam and the deer and the pronghorn play just doesn't have the same ring to it. Now, as for the frequency of discouraging words being heard or the cloudiness of the skies, there's no good data on either one, so I will just refrain from commenting. Now, I talked about deer in a previous episode, so today I want to tell you about those other two species, even though they're technically misnamed in the song, that make their home home on the range, bison and pronghorn. Once numbering over 60 million, the number of American bison was reduced to just 300 by the early 1900s. Fortunately, this keystone species has been brought back from the brink of extinction. Pronghorn are the fastest land animal in North America, and second fastest in the world behind the cheetah. So let's go to where, at least in song, seldom is heard a discouraging word and the skies are not cloudy all day, and learn more. I'm your host, Tim the Nature Nerd O'Hara, and this is the Dispatches from the Forest podcast. Although often referred to as buffalo, the American bison is not actually a buffalo. The two species of true buffalo live in Africa and Asia. The American bison is one of two species of, well, bison, along with the European bison. But buffalo and bison are related by virtue of being in the subfamily of bovines. Other bovines include yaks and domestic cattle. In fact, American bison are the closest relatives of domestic cattle that are native to North America. There are two subspecies of American bison, the plains bison and the wood bison. The plains bison tends to be a little bit smaller than the wood bison and with a more rounded hump. The wood bison is one of the largest species of bovine in the world. And when it comes to wild animals in North America, the bison is both the heaviest and the longest. And it's the second tallest coming up shorter than the moose. Large male bison can be nearly 11 and a half feet long. Females about nine and a half feet long weigh anywhere between 700 and 2,600 pounds, and stand six to six and a half feet tall. Now, both males and females have horns, which, unlike deer, they don't shed. Antlers are found only on members of the deer family. They're made entirely of bone, and they grow as an extension of the skull. Horns, on the other hand, are a two-part structure. Like antlers, there is an interior portion of bone that's an extension of the skull, but it's covered in a sheath of specialized hair follicles. It's keratin, just like your fingernails. In winter, bison have a long, shaggy, dark brown winter coat. In summer, they shed the winter coat in favor of a lighter weight and lighter brown coat. For the first two months of life, calves are lighter in color than mature bison, and on very rare occasions, about 1 in 10 million, calves are born white, either because they're albino, leucistic, which is a condition similar to albinism but with blue eyes instead of pink, or it may be a genetic condition that causes them to be born white but turn more brown as they mature. Now, bison are herbivores, grazing on grasses and sedges of the North American prairie. Their daily schedule involves two-hour periods of grazing, resting, and cud chewing, then moving to a new location to graze again. 
Ah, we should all have such a grueling schedule. Bison are migratory, and their migrations can be directional as well as between elevations. On average, they travel about two miles a day. Bison and their grazing benefits multiple other species. Many bird species depend on the bison to create suitable habitat. Black-tailed prairie dogs prefer heavily grazed areas for their burrows, and black-tailed prairie dogs in turn are also a keystone species of the prairie. They're preyed on by coyotes, eagles, badgers, and endangered black-footed ferrets. Abandoned prairie dog burrows are used by other animals like burrowing owls and swift foxes. Bison also help pronghorn survive the winter by exposing grass and other vegetation that the pronghorn can eat. And I'm going to tell you more about pronghorn here in a minute. The bison's graze-and-move lifestyle also benefits native plants. Seeds get caught in the bison's fur and are distributed across the prairie as they roam. Bison also spread seeds in their waste, not to mention that they're a mobile fertilizer factory spreading nitrogen-rich paddies across the wide-open spaces. Bison's hooves create divots that hold moisture while simultaneously pushing seeds into the soil, like a gardener would. Bison also engage in what's called wallowing behavior. A bison wallow is a shallow depression in the soil. Bison roll in these depressions, covering themselves with dust or mud. Why? Well, no one really knows for sure except the bison, and they aren't talking. But a number of hypotheses have been suggested. It may be a way of grooming during shedding. It might be relief from skin irritation caused by biting insects. It might be a way of reducing ticks and lice, or a way to cool off. Or it might just be fun and a way for the group to bond. Whatever the reason, these wallows have been shown to enhance plant and animal diversity on the prairie. Female bison form maternal herds that include other females and their offspring, although on occasion it also includes some older males. Generally, male offspring leave their maternal herd at about the age of three and either live alone or join other males in bachelor herds. These separate male and female herds generally don't mingle until the breeding season, July to September. Within both the maternal and bachelor herds, there's a dominance hierarchy. A bison's place in the hierarchy is usually related to its birth date. Bison born earlier in the breeding season are more likely to be larger and more dominant. Bison pass on this dominance to their offspring, since dominant bulls generally breed earlier in the first two to three weeks of the breeding season. More subordinate bulls mate later with any cows who are still in estrus. During the breeding season, dominant bulls maintain a small harem of females for mating. Individual bulls will tend cows until they're allowed to mate, following them around and chasing away rival males. The tending bull shields the female's vision with his body so she won't be able to see any other challenging males. Out of sight? Out of mind, I guess. A challenging bull may bellow to get a female's attention, and the tending bull has to bellow back. It sounds like this. Now, in addition to dominance, the older bison of a generation also have higher fertility rates than the younger ones. Gestation is about nine months after which a single calf is born. Male bison play no part in raising the young. The calf will nurse usually until the next calf is born. On rare occasions, if the cow doesn't get pregnant again the next season, calves may nurse up to 18 months, but most are weaned by the end of their first year. Bison reach sexual maturity at about three years of age and live an average of 15 years in the wild. 
Now, because of their size, healthy adult bison, particularly males, have few natural predators. Wolves and bears will take calves or adults that are injured or weakened for some other reason. Wolves will more actively target herds with calves than those without. When hunted by wolves, calves will run to the nearest adult or the herd, or if the herd is stampeding, they'll run in the front or center of the herd where they're more protected. They'll also enter bodies of water to escape. When fleeing wolves in open areas, cows with young calves take the lead and bulls take to the rear to guard the cow's escape. Bison will usually ignore wolves that are not displaying hunting behavior. Now, bison are among the most dangerous animals encountered by visitors to national parks and will attack humans if provoked. Emphasis on if provoked. One study noted that in Yellowstone Park between 1978 and 1992, there were 56 people injured and two deaths from bison. And between 2000 and 2015, another 25 were injured. What about 1993 to 1999? I don't know. Everything I found just kept referring back to the study I just mentioned. Apparently, those were dark years that nobody wants to talk about. Now, bison may appear slow because of their lethargic movements, but they can easily outrun humans. Bison have been clocked at up to 45 miles an hour, and they can jump up to six feet high. Many a tourist, or as one Facebook page I follow calls them, tourons, have been gored or otherwise injured because they thought it was a good idea to take a selfie with or go in for a close-up picture of the fluffy tactical battle cows. National park rules prohibit approaching within 75 feet of any wild animal. Most people injured by bison were less than six feet away before karma came a-knockin'. But people are, by far, much more of a danger to the bison than they are to us. As I mentioned in the introduction, prior to the 1800s, there were 60 million bison roaming North America. The bison were essential to many Native American tribes. They ate the meat, they used their hide for teepees and clothing, crafted bones into tools, knives, and decorations, used the sinew as thread, and made bladders into water jugs. Many tribes were nomadic, following the buffalo herds as they moved. Many places in the West have what are known as buffalo jumps. These were cliffs that were used by hunters to kill bison in mass quantity. Hunters herded the nearsighted bison over the cliff where other members of the tribe waited with spears and bows to finish them off. This type of hunting was a communal event and goes back over 12,000 years. And again, nothing went to waste. Excess meat was cut into thin strips, dried and smoked, basically bison jerky. Some of this prepared meat was pounded and mixed with fat and dried fruit to make something called pemmican, not too much different from the suet blocks that you can buy and feed to the birds. Pemmican was a staple of the Native Americans. It lasted in storage for a relatively long time and was very easy to carry. The westward expansion of European settlers in the 19th century was the primary driver behind the rapid decline of bison in North America. Railroads, rifles, and an international market for buffalo hides led to what was called the Great Slaughter from 1820 to 1880, when the bison population plummeted from between 30 and 60 million to fewer than a thousand by the 1890s. 
It didn't help that the military had a directive to destroy bison in order to destroy or at least control Native Americans and force them onto reservations. Armed with powerful long-range rifles, individual hunters could kill as many as 250 buffalo a day. Tanneries paid as much as $3 per hide and $0.25 for each tongue. Unfortunately, once the hides and tongues were taken from the carcasses, the rest of the carcass was often left to rot. The introduction of diseases from cattle, drought, and competition from domestic livestock contributed to the reduction in bison numbers also. At their lowest numbers, some estimates were that there were only 300 bison remaining, bringing the species to the brink of extinction. Fortunately, many places, particularly in the West where there's ample space, have recognized the bison's importance in the ecosystem and are restoring bison to the wild, giving people a chance to see these magnificent animals from a safe distance, people. Now, just like bison are often called buffalo but aren't true buffalo, the pronghorn is often called an antelope or pronghorn antelope, but it isn't really a true antelope. They got this name because they resemble both old world antelopes and they fill a similar ecological niche, an example of what's called parallel evolution, the development of a similar trait or traits in different species that are not closely related but experience similar evolutionary pressure. Pronghorns are distantly related to deer and bovines, like the bison, but surprisingly, their closest living relatives are giraffes. Pronghorns are light brown, with distinctive white fur on their sides, breast, bellies, across their throats, and on their butts. If you've ever seen a pronghorn, you know they have wonderful, fluffy, white butts. They're smaller than deer, and males and females are about the same length and height four to five feet long from nose to tail, and two and a half to three and a half feet tall at the shoulder. But males tend to be heavier, weighing on average between 90 and 140 pounds, versus the females, 75 to 100 pounds. They are an artiodactyl ungulate, which is a hard thing to say. Fancy talk that means they have hooves with an even number of toes, with two toes on each foot. Pronghorn's large eyes give them a 320-degree field of view. This fantastic vision helps them spot predators from a long way off, an important ability in their open, flat, grassland habitat. Like bison, and as their name implies, pronghorns have horns. Each horn is composed of a laterally flattened blade of bone covered in a sheath of keratin. Unlike bison and other bovines, the sheath of the male pronghorn's horn are branched, giving each sheath a forward-pointing tine, hence the name pronghorn. Both male and female pronghorns have horns, but the females are smaller, averaging just four inches long and usually straight, whereas the male's horns average ten inches long. Pronghorns are also unique because they shed and regrow their horn sheath annually. Now that's not the bone core like an antler, just the outer keratin sheath. Pronghorns are the only horned ungulate that does this. Pronghorn range from southern Saskatchewan and Alberta in Canada, south through the Great Plains and Desert Southwest, into northern Mexico, as far east as Nebraska and the Dakotas. Having evolved in the wide-open plains, they're not only the fastest land animal in North America, but in the whole western hemisphere. A pronghorn can maintain a top speed of 55 miles an hour for about half a mile, or a lower speed for a longer time, 
they can run about four miles at 35 miles an hour. Now, it may be second in speed to the cheetah, but it can maintain a high speed for longer. In fact, this speed may have evolved in order to escape the now extinct American cheetah, since the pronghorn is considerably faster than any other predator in North America. I never even knew there was such a kitty. Pronghorn evolved several adaptations to help make them excellent runners. The pronghorn's windpipe, lungs, and heart are all large relative to its body size, allowing it to take in large volumes of air when running. Their hooves are cushioned to absorb the impact of running, and their bone structure is light. But being built for speed comes at a price. Deer can jump eight feet high, which makes sense. They evolved in the woods where escaping predators involved dodging fallen trees and brush. And like I mentioned earlier, even the heaviest land mammal in North America, the bison, has a six-foot vertical leap. Pronghorn can outrun them both, but they are terrible jumpers. A pronghorn encountering even a four-foot wire fence will go between the wires or even underneath rather than over. I've actually seen this many times, and I've also watched a pronghorn run face-first into fencing that it couldn't go through. Fortunately, it wasn't hurt. It then ran parallel to the fence until it found a gap. In many areas, sheep ranchers are either installing a barbless bottom wire to their fences or removing the bottom wire altogether to allow pronghorn to pass through safely. In addition to their large lungs and heart, pronghorn also have larger kidneys than deer or true antelope, and this serves two purposes. First, it helps filter out toxins from some of the plants that pronghorn graze on. Many of these plants are unpalatable or even poisonous to livestock and other ruminants. Enlarged kidneys also help reduce the need for water, allowing the animal to extract most of its water from the plants it eats. Unlike deer, pronghorn have a gallbladder. Now, to be honest, I'm not sure why that's significant. I found lots of sources that mentioned it, but nothing that said what it actually means in terms of adaptations, but I still found it interesting. The bile stored in the gallbladder is usually used to digest fats, so it's usually found in omnivores and carnivores, not herbivores. Pronghorns form mixed-sex herds in the winter, and these herds break up in the early spring. Young males will form bachelor herds, females will form harems, and more mature adults will remain solitary. Females form dominance hierarchies, and dominant females will aggressively displace other females from foraging sites. For some reason, in places where precipitation is high, adult males tend to be more territorial, and will defend a fixed territory or a specific harem of females. Pronghorns have a distinct musky odor, and males use scent glands on the sides of their head to mark their territory. They also use vocalizing and will challenge intruding males. <coughs> Territorial males have better access to resources than bachelor males. Females also employ different mating strategies. Some females are known as sampling females, and they'll visit several males remaining with each one for a short time before switching to the next male, switching more frequently as estrus approaches. Other females, known as inciting females, start out acting like the sampling females until estrus, but then they cause drama, inciting conflicts between males and mating with the winners. Before fighting, males will first try to intimidate each other, if that fails, they lock horns and may actually try to hurt each other. Then there are females called quiet females, who remain with a single male in an isolated area throughout estrus. 
Females continue this mating behavior for two to three weeks. When courting a female, a male pronghorn approaches her while softly vocalizing and waving his head side to side, displaying his cheek patches. He literally serenades her. How sweet is that? In addition to the scent glands on the sides of his head, pronghorns also have scent glands between their toes and on the rump. A receptive female remains motionless, sniffs the male's scent gland, then allows him to mate with her. Pronghorns have a gestation period of seven to eight months, longer than a typical North American ungulate, six weeks longer than the deer. Breeding occurs in mid-September, and fawns are born in late May. Females often give birth within days of each other, and twins are not uncommon. Newborn pronghorns weigh about seven pounds. Now, they can walk within 30 minutes of birth and are capable of outrunning a human in just a couple of days, but they'll spend the first three weeks, like deer fawn, hiding in vegetation while the mother grazes nearby. Females return to nurse the fawns about three times a day, but spend less than 10 minutes each time. After the fawns turn three weeks old, they begin to follow the females as they forage. Several females and their fawns will form nursery herds along with yearling females. Fawns stay with their mothers for about a year, and lifespan is typically about 10 years. I got the chance to see Pronghorn up close when we lived at F.E. Warren Air Force Base in Cheyenne, Wyoming. F.E. Warren has the largest, quote, urban, unquote, pronghorn herd in the nation. It was not uncommon to see pronghorn grazing in your front yard on base. In fact, they were so used to people, it was not uncommon for security forces officers to have to put orange cones around a pronghorn fawn that had been born or was hiding, quote, unquote, in one of the parking lots. Like deer fawns, people often think that if they see a pronghorn fawn with no mother around, it's been abandoned, and they make the mistake of saving them, which actually will make the mother abandon them. So if you see a fawn, whether deer, pronghorn, or otherwise, and you think it's been abandoned, don't touch it. And with that, listener, I'll ride off into the sunset. But before I go, thank you for listening. Please leave a like and follow or subscribe to the podcast. It's free, and it helps me out. If you like what I'm doing and you want to support future episodes, please consider becoming a patron. You can do that by going to patreon.com forward slash dispatches from the forest. If a one-time donation is more your speed, you can do that via PayPal. Dispatches from the forest at gmail.com is both my PayPal address and also where you can email me with questions, comments, or suggestions for future episodes. Also, I'm very excited to announce that we have merch now. If you're interested in some Dispatches from the Forest merch, head over to cafepress.com forward slash Dispatches from the Forest. For additional content, follow Dispatches from the Forest on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. I'm your host, Tim the Nature Nerd O'Hara, reminding you to go outside and get dirty. The Dispatches from the Forest podcast is a production of Dispatches from the Forest and may not be used or rebroadcast, whole or in part, without express written permission.